Secure Financial Advisors, a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full informed investment decision. This is your money, your wealth on Talk Radio 760 KFMV. Now, here's Joe Anderson and Big Al Clopine. Hey, welcome back. Uh, welcome back to the program. The show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Joe Anderson here, certified financial planner. I'm with Big Al Clopine, CPA. Uh, we got Tom Anderson coming up next segment. Tom Anderson wrote the book, Debt and Retirement. Keep it, right? It's the, like, what, what was the tagline? Everything you learned about debt was wrong. Was wrong. That's right. Exactly. So um, I'm interested to talk to Tom. I read the book. It was a good book. Uh, so there's some interesting ideas there. Yes. So stick around for Tom. We're answering email questions as well. And this is kind of fitting for our next segment. Okay, good. I have a large 401k plus pension, Alan. Okay. I want to retire before the end of 2017. I will be 62 years old in September. Would it be wise to pay off my car loan so I don't have any debt when I retire? Should I withdraw money from my 401k to do this? And we could plug in that, let's say, hey, should I pay off my home, right? Right. Should I pay off my home Whatever. equity line of you know, anything? Yes. Uh, so I, I'll, I'll start and then I'll have you finish. Okay, How about that? good. Because I think with a car loan, sure, you definitely want to pay that. So there's the two-part question. I have a car loan. Should I pay it off before I retire? Sure, if you have a car loan, that's not the best debt, but it depends on the interest rate. Most car loans are pretty low. Yeah, they're pretty low. But right? that's but the, yeah, the problem with that kind of debt is it's an asset that's going down in it's, value. Yeah, it's, it's depreciating. It's, it's not serving you financially. Whereas a home mortgage, hopefully, your home is going up in value, and generally they do. And should I withdraw the monies from my four hundred and one k to do this? Answers what? Absolutely not. Yeah, that's a clear answer. No, especially, and you know, you you want to retire before the end of 2017. So let's assume you're going to work nearly a full year, and when you retire, it's pretty probably you're going to get your vacation pay, and you know who knows what else pay. So you're probably going to have a pretty robust year in terms of income. If you pull money out of the 401k in this year, for example, it's just going to sit on top of your other income and be taxed at a much higher rate than it should be. Right. And let's say if your your interest rate is a couple percent on the car loan, I mean, car loans are what, three to five years, and maybe you're paying a couple hundred bucks. How big's the debt? Right. Um, you know, if you have cash to pay it off, sure. But if I, I would not take it from the 401k. You know? I, I wouldn't either. I, actually, what I would do probably is I, I would if, if if I want to do this smart and maybe this works for you maybe it doesn't but is I would just look at my income over the next eight nine ten months and try to budget extra payments so that by the tenth month I can have it all paid off with with my salary right yeah 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 use cash flow yeah uh, don't use that and I get it here's again here's the, the the mantra right here's the the rule of thumb is debt free in retirement yes and Tom Anderson, that's coming up next, is, has the opposite view. Right. Of well, and debt. I think I think he would likely agree when it comes to consumer debt. Sure. That, that's something you just you either want to not have, or if you do have it, get that thing paid off. How many? But, but I think a lot of people go into retirement thinking they have to have their mortgage paid off, and that's not necessarily true. How many times have we seen this? Is that let's say I have a couple hundred thousand dollar mortgage, and I pay it off with my four hundred one k plan? Yes. And they say, you know what? Well, I'm in the 15% tax bracket. I'll pull two hundred thousand dollars out. I know I'll have to pay tax. Yeah. But all right, you know, maybe it's going to be a few thousand dollars, five thousand bucks. 
Now, they totally underestimate the tax, right? <laughs> and then they pay out the debt. They take the money out. They feel real good, right? Because, hey, I'm debt-free. I, I don't have that mortgage hanging over my head until April. Right. Then that 200000 Then they then they realized how much tax. I mean, it, it, it could be an additional $100,000 in tax, depending yeah, on what your other income sources are. It's staggering. I think one of the more extreme cases that I recall was a guy that uh, he was laid off, let's say, in December. So he had a full year's salary, and then he got a full year's severance. So he basically had two years of salary all at once, and then he withdrew $200,000 from his 401k to pay up his mortgage because it's like, well, I got laid off. I don't want to have a mortgage. And so when you tally up his income, and then there's a few other things, it was about $450,000. Do you know what tax bracket that is? I mean, that's getting up to the 39.6% rate federal. That's just federal. Then you got California, another 10, 11% just right there. So you're looking at a 50% tax on that couple hundred thousand that was withdrawn and that uh, and if that's you if you if you are if you did that and didn't realize it if you haven't paid off that mortgage yet put it back into the IRA you get you get one chance a year if you pull money out of an IRA you have 60 days to put it back in no harm no foul yeah and, it, do it now yeah right like like monday morning first <laughs> yes. thing and because they look at the balance of those retirement accounts, Al, right? They're like, all right, well, here, I have a million dollars, 500000 200000 And we always have to remind you that you do not have 200000 or 500000 or a million. It's, it's something significantly yeah, it's, less. It's not all yours, it's, right? No. Because you never pay tax on it. And guess who wants their money? It's the IRS. In California, it's the Franchise Tax Board. And they will get their money. And sometimes it's 50% of what you take out, depending upon your bracket. Got to take another break. Stick around for Tom Anderson. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. This is Your Money, Your Wealth on Talk Radio 760 KFMB. Hey, welcome back to the show. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Joe Anderson here, certified financial planner with Alan Kopine, of course. He's a CPA. Thanks for tuning in. Alan, it's that time again. We've got another guest, don't we? A really good one this time. <laughs> yeah, usually I, they Unlike suck. last week. <laughs> <laughs> They're just awful. We always say such, yeah, a, such I, a good job. Such I, a good job. I don't know how we got this guy. <laughs> oh, we got Tom Anderson. Now watch. Tom's going to listen to the following week. And I know. He's going to be like, oh, yeah, these you know, jerkies. <laughs> right? But uh, he wrote a great book. Um, he's a New York Times bestseller. It's called The Value of Debt in Retirement. Why... Everything you've been told is wrong. And this is interesting because I think if you listen to some of the financial pundits out there, it's like, all right, well, once you get into retirement, of course, you got to be debt free. Tom's got a little bit different take on it. And so I want to welcome Tom to the show. Tom, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, gentlemen, I really appreciate it. It's great to be here. Thanks so much, Joe. And uh, I am going to be sure to listen next week to know how it kicks off. So. <laughs> that's, a, that's a, yeah, or maybe not. <laughs> oh, boy. Way to go, Al. I know. I'm already, yeah. Uh, you're, you're already in the I'm, doghouse. I'm not you, allowed I mean, to we're ask, like 30 seconds into the interview. I'm not allowed to ask any questions, I guess. Uh, well, Tom, let's just talk, first of all, about the title, right? The Value of Debt in Retirement. So when you think of most, I guess, financial pundits, right, it, that, that, that's the opposite take of what you might hear um, when you approach retirement. It is. You know, that's the general plan is that people are saying, I need to just rush in and get rid of all my debt before I uh, retire. And so we kind of went with a more controversial title here. I had a first book that came out called The Value of Debt. And we said, and that was already controversial in its title. And we said, well, let's continue it and make it more controversial. We'll say, what about debt and retirement? And uh, who should have debt? And what are the right types of debt? And we basically tried to put some math around it and explore that topic. You, you, you know, it's funny because 
I'm a big fan of the book. And I think a lot of times most individuals as they approach retirement don't necessarily take a look at both sides of the balance sheet. And they might focus maybe on the debt side a little bit too much where they pay extra on their mortgage uh, mortgage payments, and they have very little liquid capital to, to provide any type of retirement income. And they think that that might be a safer route approaching retirement, where in actuality, that might be just the opposite things that they should be doing. You know, that's uh, exactly right. I, I can't say it better than uh, how you did. I mean, what happens is a lot of people find that they don't have enough retirement savings. I mean, you guys work with clients and a lot of uh, callers that call into this show, and you probably don't find a lot of people saying, you know what, I've got way more money than I need for retirement. Or or maybe you're having that conversation every day, right? (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) So what happens is while many people are feeling undersaved for retirement, what they're doing is they're rushing in to pay off their debt, and they're finding that they don't have the liquidity or the flexibility or the resources to put them on track for retirement. Now, when I say this, and your listeners have to know that I don't think that all debt is good. So, for example, if you have somebody that has you know, credit card debt at 15% or 19%, then they need to step in and pay that off. That's not going to be good debt. Um, but if they have working debt, which might be, as you just said, a mortgage at maybe you know, 4 or 5 or maybe even as low as 3%, and their CPA says, hey, that's fully tax deductible for you, then they might not want to rush in to pay off debt that has an after-tax cost of 2 or 3% because they need money working for them so that they can create the retirement that they want to have. Absolutely. And it's figuring out, all right, well, what is good debt? What is bad debt? And I think people just lump debt into one category and say, no, it's all bad. I want to be debt-free. Um, and then all of a sudden, when they get into retirement, they might have a paid-off house, but they have very little liquid assets. And then how are you going to create the retirement income that you need long-term? Um, then it's like, okay, well, maybe I need a little bit from the house or I got to downsize or do different things. Um, and I think that's where your book comes in and talks about, you know, hey, maybe you should take a look at this a little bit differently. That's absolutely right. Look, I would love for everybody to be able to pay off their house. But what happens is when you're getting close to retirement, until you have enough money to pay off all of your house, I'd suggest why pay off any of it? Because it's a one-way liquidity trap. Once you, If I'm 60 years old and I put down $100,000 on my house and then I retire and I find out I don't have enough money, I can't get that back. I can't refinance it because I no longer have a job. And so what what readers need to be thinking about is, how do I protect the liquidity and the flexibility and make sure that I have enough resources? You know, working with an advisor to say, hey, if I have enough to get me all the way there, then I can pay down my debt. But if I don't, I might want to have some of the right types of debt and keep having those tax benefits in place. Well, Well, let's talk about that. What are the right types of debt? So in particular, basically, any debt that has an, uh, a rate of return or cost of it less than what you think you're going to earn long-term in your portfolio. So what does that mean? It's kind of a mouthful. But if you think that, for example, your portfolio is going to average, let's say, inflation plus 4%, and let's say that that's something around 6% in this environment, but you could borrow at, let's say, 4%, and after taxes, that's only 3%, then you're capturing a spread. You're earning a rate of return higher than your after-tax cost of debt. 
So generally, any debt that has a rate of return of or cost of it less than 5 or 6%, you want to be cautious and ru- rushing to pay that off. Any debt that has a, a cost greater than you know 10%, you want to eliminate as fast as you can. And debt that's in the middle, you can just kind of want to balance. And generally, I'd probably rather eliminate debt that's in the middle as fast as we can as well. Uh, is there certain ratios that you take a look at? Yeah. So that's actually what a lot of my next book is coming out. So this one was geared toward uh, retirement. And so I'll, I'll, I'll talk about kind of toward retirement, and then we can kind of talk about glide paths for people who aren't retired. But when you retire, what you basically have is a pot of money that you're trying to create an, an income stream throughout retirement. And what I basically show in the book is, hey, if you need a distribution of 3% or less, so let's say that I have a million dollars and I need less than $30,000 a year from the portfolio, or you have $500,000 and you need less than $15,000, maybe because you have a great pension from you know, working for the state or being a teacher or social security or whatever the reason you don't need the money, then you do not need to have debt. And, and, and there's no clear math compelling case that debt will add value. If you need to have between, you know, a four or 6% distribution rate, so let's say that I have a, a million dollars and I want to spend, you know, $50,000 a year, then I show that a, a 30% debt to asset ratio actually can add value. You see, those people have to take risk either through investing in risky assets or through debt. And, and, and I get it that debt can be risky, but faced with risk, we want to take the least risky risk possible. And I prove in the book that some debt, the right types of debt, the right way can actually reduce that risk. Uh, that's such a great point, Tom, is that, all right, well, here, I have a portfolio. I'm taking, let's say, a 5% distribution from that. Maybe the portfolio generates 5%, but then I have to take taxes and inflation and everything else in between. And so it's like, all right, well, that's risky. But then if, uh, if I add debt to the overall equation, well, that's risky too. We're not saying that it's, it's risk-free, but then you just take a look at the, the, you know, the equation of which is more risky. And you want to take the, the path uh, that is going to give you the less risk possible. That's exactly right. So it, it is a mathematical fact that debt can increase the rate of return in a portfolio. It is a mathematical fact that debt can reduce taxes is a mathematical fact that counterintuitively debt can reduce risk to our exact point because it takes money to make money and we prove it in the book. But it is a fact that you, this is not a guaranteed path and that you're basically choosing between two different risks. So you have to balance these risks and, and take the least risky risk. Hey, Tom, right now we've got really uh, almost all-time low interest rates, and I assume you would, would recommend fixed income or fixed rate, but uh, not all loans are fixed rate. Would you chat about variable rate versus fixed and, and in this environment? Yeah, so everything about this environment always makes me uh, uh, nervous. I hope we'll talk about the economic environment as well because there's a lot of expensive assets, and so there's, that's a different type of risk that we have. But with respect to interest rates, what I find is um, I'm not an advocate for fixed or floating. They're a function of the economic uh, environment uh, around us. And so um, uh, if you think about it, um, it's also a function of how much resources you have. So what I tend to find is, Let's say that you follow my advice and, and maybe you have uh, uh, $500,000 of, of debt and, and $1.5 million of assets, and so uh, your debt ratio is at 30%. You could pay it off at any point in time. The greater your ability to pay it off, you could self-insure this debt is, is a way of looking at it. I had a, a doctor friend of mine who uh, said to me, hey, I've got a, a 30-year fixed mortgage at you know, 5%, and he was super excited about it. How long do you think he's going to live in that house? Probably five years. Probably. That's exactly right. Yeah, his, his wife told me they want to move to the suburb in the next five years. 
And so when, like, when I heard that, I was thinking, you know, you should be on a shorter-term mortgage, and, and, but what he, he chose to kind of go long-term. So you need to think about all of these factors. What I often find is that people who go for long-term fixed-rate mortgages sometimes only plan to be in a property for a short term, or maybe they could pay it off. And sometimes people who are just going for short-term mortgages are doing it because they're trying to reach for payments, even though they turn to plan to be there for a long time and can't afford the risk. A lot of times people get fixed versus floating exactly backwards from what they should be doing, but there's not a, a clear answer there. That's a lot of the custom suit business based on their circumstances. You, you know, with this type of strategy, there has to be a lot of discipline on uh, the part of the individual. And I think that's sometimes, the, the you know, the, the individual is their own worst enemy. You, you, you draw out mathematically that it's going to get them to their goals a lot quicker, but then when you throw in you know, dead into the equation, it, it, it could be a double-edged sword there. Yep, it sure can. This is not about buying stupid stuff you can't afford. It's <laughs> about better ways to pay for things that you can't afford. And so if I show you how instead of paying, you know, $1,000 a month for your car, you could be paying $200 a month, uh, my assumption is that you're saving that $800. And, and, <laughs> right. and, yeah, uh, yeah that's, a big, that's a big assumption. It's a big assumption. And so... You know, I, I mathematically prove the value that debt can add. I mathematically show the risks, but to your exact point, the behavioral aspect in a growing field of study in economics is behavioral economics, and I can't control that part. That's why people either need to work with an advisor or be disciplined on their own and, and have a clear gates and guardrails around that process. Tom, I wish we had a lot more time. Um, his book is called The Value of Debt in Retirement. Why everything you've been told is wrong. It's a wonderful book. Tell us a little bit about the new project that you got going on and where people can find it. Yeah, so my new book comes out in uh, January, February. I'd love to tell you about it. looks like it's going to be about a February 1st release. I think it's already on Amazon uh, and all of the uh, online sites today, but it's called The Value of Debt and Building Wealth. And basically what I do there is I say, how much debt should people have while they're accumulating before they retire? And I break things just into four different phases of life. Uh, the time in your life when your net worth is less than 50% of your income. So if you make $100,000 and you're worth less than 50000 how much debt should you have and how should it be structured? I look at it from when your net worth is 50% to two times your annual income, two to five, and then five to 30, which is this kind of long phase in life. And I basically just set guideposts out there that are beacons that you can be thinking about. How do you balance building up savings, enjoying life today, and being on track for retirement? I mean, this is really good stuff. It's smart. It's it's an easy read. And then most very successful companies, right, they use debt. They're not cash flowing everything. And so you have to look at your overall financial house as a business in some instances. And how do you take all the assets, the income, cash flow, everything that you have, and making sure that you can build that um, to the maximum p- potential with the least amount of risk. So uh, that's Tom Anderson, folks. He's a New York Times bestseller. Hey, when the new book comes out, we'll have you back on. How's that sound? Hey, I love it, Joe, and thanks. That would be great to be back on. All right, we got to take another break. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Now back to Your Money, Your Wealth on Talk Radio 760 KFMB. Hey, welcome back to the show. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Uh, Joe Anderson and Big Al here. Thanks for tuning in. So Tommy Anderson, that was we got to get him back on with his new book. Yes, uh, we do, because I think it's, I think it's uh, good information. I think a lot of people, particularly Joe, I'll focus on, on San Diego, 
Southern California, where real, real estate is very expensive. And we all have been taught, even from an early age, at least my generation, you got to have your debt paid off as soon as possible. And certainly by the time you retire. And that's not necessarily the best. Now, would I rather have a mortgage or not? Of course, I'd rather not have a mortgage, but it's not the end of the world to have a mortgage these days, particularly because interest rates are low. And this is what we call good debt because your your home should continue to appreciate. So this is not like like credit card debt, buying a TV or going on vacation or things like that. Yeah, this, and you got to look at the true cost of capital, yeah, too. Yeah, right. So if your interest rate is 4%, you're in the 25% federal tax bracket, 10% state, rounding. Yeah. So you're not really paying 4% because you get the tax deduction for that interest, depending yeah. on the you know, but, yeah, amortization Yeah, it, it may cost you more like 2.5%. Right. And then it's then it's like you, you can kind of look at this and you get a fixed rate loan and you kind of you kind of locked in your housing costs. If you didn't have a home, you'd have rent and it would probably go up every year. Sure. 10 years from now, you, it would be great than what you're paying in your mortgage right now. Right. And so there's a lot of pros and cons, I think, on both sides here of, of owning a home versus renting. Um, and that is by far, in my opinion, the biggest. You're locking in the cost. There's control there. Right. You know, so there's that predictability of what it's going to cost you versus renting where it's like, all right, well, yeah, I, you know what? If something blows up, I just call the landlord. They come and fix it. Yeah. So that's great. Hey, you know, they come and mow the lawn. They do this, they do that. So there's a lot of ancillary things that are outstanding if you rent, but then you also there's no predictability in what that housing cost is going to be, and whether it's going to continue to be a rental and all kinds of things. Right? Like are that. they going to sell the house and all of a sudden someone wants to live in that house? So then you have to move um, or condo or apartment or whatever that you're living in. Uh, but let's say you lock into a 30-year fix today at four percent, roughly. I don't know what the 30-year is um, mortgage yeah, rates. I probably they, about they that. fluctuated a little bit this week. They did, yeah. Um, but so you lock in twelve hundred bucks a month, just what throwing a number out. There. Right. In twenty years from now, I mean, bread's going to cost that's, more than twelve hundred bucks. That's pennies, right? <laughs> right. So your payment for your house is going to be cheaper than the loaf of bread. Right. So uh, yeah, so it's a, just a different way to look at things. We're not advocates of saying, "Hey, pull out money out of your house and invest it." And no, things like absolutely that. not. I think the way I look at this more is if you if you already paid off your mortgage, good for you. But if you haven't, this is not the end of the world. In fact, uh, instead of trying to pull money out of your retirement plan to pay off this mortgage and pay tons of taxes, it's actually not the end of the world. Get that fixed rate mortgage, get it under control. In some cases, maybe you're down to 15 years, uh, but you can't afford your payment. You refinance it to a 30-year. Now, all of a sudden, you can't afford the payment. And I know for some of you, that sounds contrary to to what your thinking is, but it's all about cash flow when it comes to retirement. I mean, I'm all for paying off debt early, even mortgage debt, but sometimes it's it's uh, when you retire, you don't have those options because your money's in retirement plans. If you pull it out to pay off the debt, you got to pay all kinds of tax. If you can just manage that cash flow by managing that payment, you'll be a lot better off. Right. It's all about the, the income that makes you feel um, secure, right. in my opinion. Um so it's like, okay, well, here, let's take all the liquid assets that I have to pay off the mortgage. And I get it, all right? So you've freed up that 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 payment, and that payment then you're not spending, so you can spend it on something else. Right. However, you have to look at, okay, well, if um, I'm the 25% tax bracket, my mortgage rate is 4, I take the deduction, it's 2.5%. Over the next 30 years, do you think that you could generate a higher than 2.5% on your money? Right. If the answer is yes, then keep the note. 
If the answer is no, then pay it off. Yeah, and that comes down to for people that have enough money without going to their retirement accounts to actually pay off the mortgage. And and people always ask us, what's a, what's a better financial uh, uh, position, move right. move, right? And the answer is, well, keep the mortgage. If the mortgage, if the true cost of the mortgage is 2.5% and a globally diversified portfolio, you're going you're gonna to earn at least 5% over the long term, maybe 6%, maybe more. Uh, that's a better move. However, that also requires discipline, mm-hmm. right? Because if you're, <laughs> if you're, in some cases, people uh, end up not paying the mortgage, but they don't save the difference. And then in that case, you would have been better off paying the mortgage. Right. Of course, maybe you got great experiences because you went on trips and stuff. But, I, and I get it. There's an emotional, with, you know, money's very emotional. And so it's like, well, I'd much rather have the debt paid off. All right, yeah, I get that aspect of it. But just financially speaking, not emotionally speaking, financially speaking, it's better to have the mortgage. But emotionally, yes, I get having no debt. And Al and I both agree with this, is that, yeah, it's it's ideal to, to feel that relief of not having anything, you know, that, that you have to pay a mortgage payment to, to right. pay someone else. Anyway, so Tom Anderson, check out his book. However you feel about debt, we're, we're just looking at it as a, a financial tool. Um, it may make sense for you. It may not. Uh, we're here just to give options. I have a couple more email questions for you, All right. Alan. What do you got? Let's see if I can get a real good one for you. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay, What? Uh, which retirement account should we set up for our children? is the title of this. Okay. Uh, We would like to set up accounts for our three kids who are young adults. We are not sure if it's smart to make them wait until they are 59 and a half years old. Would you recommend we set up a Roth IRA or a low-cost index fund? Okay. So I'm guessing they're saying, all right, well, here, we'd like to set up a retirement plan for our kids, but you know what? We don't want to handcuff them where they can't touch the money until they're 59 and a half. So should we do Roth IRA or a non-qualified account? Right. That's a, that is the question. And, and, and by the way, you can do an, an index fund in either one, non-qualified or Roth, sure. just as a Or side. IRA. Or IRA, whatever. So my first suggestion in a, in a case like this, I, I, I guess it depends upon what your goals are. In other words, if you would like your kids to have some money to be able to, to get started in life, to buy their first car or second car, to, to buy a home, uh, to start a business, well, then, of course, you're going to want to stay on the non-qualified side. Non-qualified just means it's not a retirement account, so you're going to kind of favor that. On the other hand, I think a lot of parents would like to give their their kids a head start on saving for retirement because I think most parents, because they're a little older, they understand the the time value of money. In other words, if you could put in $5,000 into a Roth IRA, for example, for your 20-year-old, by the time they got to 59 and a half, right, that's, that's about 40 years from now, that money, and you would want to invest that in index-type funds, more, more towards the market, stock market, as opposed to bonds, because you can handle the volatility, because you're not going to be withdrawing it for many years, then that would be a great thing to do, right? Uh, and of course, one other thing, Joe, is with a Roth contribution, the kids can always pull the money out. So I would have them put in a Roth IRA is what I would Yes, do. because it's FIFO tax treatment, right? First mm-hmm. in, first out. Yes. Any dollar that you put in, you can pull right out. <laughs> because taxes are huge. 
And it would be tax-free, compounding. Can you imagine to have 40 years of tax-free growth? That would be phenomenal. It would be just an accountant's dream to be able to say to their client, you got all this income tax-free because in retirement, your paycheck doesn't stop. Uh, I mean, your taxes don't stop when your paycheck does. It sure doesn't. Because you got to create your own paycheck from your own income sources, from your own accounts, and uh, boy, you can have to you can end up paying a lot of taxes that way. So as you near retirement, tax planning becomes more important than ever. But you must use a forward-looking tax strategy if you're serious about keeping your taxes lower in retirement. Uh, we got a few more email questions to answer, and then we're going to get the heck out of here. All right, show's called Your Money Your Wealth. We'll be back in just a second. This is Your Money, Your Wealth on Talk Radio 760 KFMB. Hey, thanks for hanging out with us today. The show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Uh, my name's Joe Anderson. I'm with Big Al. Here's something for you. Must I pay Social Security tax on my earnings after a full retirement age? Okay. That's the question. That's the email question from Barb from El Cajon. Okay, <laughs> must I pay, say that again? Because I must, thought that was the title. Must I pay Social Security taxes on my earnings after full retirement age? Uh, that's a great question. So in other words, someone is, is still working, I guess. Uh, full retirement age right now is age 66. but 66 in two months. Yeah. This year. This year two, that's right. Yep. This is the first year. And so we're going to get to 67 uh, in a few years. I guess next year it'll be 66 in four months is, is right. Anyway, so this person's working past that age. And so it's like, well, wait a minute. I, I shouldn't have to pay Social Security taxes on my earnings uh, sorry, you still do have to pay taxes, uh, Social Security taxes on your earnings, if I understood the question right. Well, there's, I, I, you're, let's, you're, you're looking at me funny like I didn't pay attention. No, no, no. No, because I read it differently, and <laughs> I think that's good because we have two different points of view. Yeah, right. So the question is, must I pay Social Security taxes on my earnings after full retirement age? So, yes. I mean, I think you – so we can answer this two ways. I yeah, guess. Okay. So we can spin the question two ways. Yeah, right. So I'm – 66 in two months. I'm still working. Yeah. Right? And I still have income. Do I have to pay FICA tax? Do I still have to pay payroll tax or yeah, put does, money into Social Security? Does it stop from my withholding? Correct. Right? And the answer is no. No, it you does could, not. You could be 84. And is if you're working, earned income, right, salary or self-employment business, you still have to pay the Social Security tax. How about if you retire, right? Okay. So I retire. I start collecting my Social Security. I'm after full retirement age, okay? So I'm 66 in two months. I collect my benefit. Next year, I, I'm like, you know what? I'm bored. I'm going back to work. So I go back to work and make, I don't know, 100 grand. So what happens? Do I, I'm already collecting my Social Security benefit. So do I have to pay tax? Do I have to pay FICA tax then, right? Yeah, that, the answer is yes. You do. There's there's no exemption for receiving Social Security income and having to pay tax on current earned income. It, but here's what happens. This is what ha will, will probably happen, yeah. is that that individual Social Security benefit might go up. Agreed, right? Because they take the highest 35 years. And let's say your first few years you're making... 20000 a year, and now you're making 100000 So the lowest year drops off, but this higher one pops in, and the following year you'd have actually a higher benefit. 
Yeah. So they re- they calculate your benefit each year. Right. And how it works out, I mean, if you worked, let's say if you made $20,000 30 years ago with inflation, I mean, I they, they index it with inflation. I, I know they do, yeah. But let's just say if that even index with inflation, it was only 20000 because you were right. a bartender or you're a waiter or waitress or- You know, minimum wage when I started in my career was $3.65. My minimum, I was a bartender in college. Yeah. Was uh, $2.13, $2.13. Oh, well, I'm in California, so- Higher standard yes. of living here. Well, that was that was like that, a bartender's minimum wage. Oh, it was different, huh? Yeah. Okay, interesting. And, well, that was in Florida, so yeah, maybe California. <laughs> I guarantee it was like probably seventeen bucks. Probably, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so your Social Security benefit will never go down if you work, yeah. unless you take your benefit prior to full retirement age. And then you earned income, your benefit won't go down. They'll just take it back like you didn't receive it. Right. So some sometimes people get confused there. Boy, they do get confused, Joe, and that's that's bears repeating. So before full retirement age, which this year is sixty six years and two months of age. This year's gonna <laughs> it's gonna be awful. It's the that. next several years, sixty six <laughs> and four months, sixty six and six months. Anyway, the the whole point here is that if you're still working. Uh, and before full retirement age, and you're collecting your Social Security benefits, you can only make it's 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 around seventeen thousand dollars without having your benefits reduced. Right. Then every two dollars you earn after that, they take a dollar back of your Social Security benefit. Right. They do. So all of a sudden you you have less Social Security benefit. But I think a lot of people don't realize you don't get penalized for that. Right. It, it still is part of your Social Security income pool later. Right. You just didn't get it now. Exactly. So they increase your overall benefit like you didn't take it. Because if you did take it at 62, right, you get a 25% permanent haircut. Now it's going to be a little bit more because it's 62 in two months, <laughs> but I'm, I'm not going there. You, you get a reduction, 25% reduction. All right. And a smidge. Right. So that's a permanent haircut. But let's say I take it at 62. And I'm still working, right? So I'm trying to I'm trying to double dip, right? And so it's like, all right, I'm going to take my benefit, and I'm still have my full time job, and I, of course, with my full time job, maybe I'm making sixty, seventy, eighty thousand, hundred thousand dollars, whatever it is. Well, you collect your benefit, and then all of a sudden, it's like, well, wait a minute. Now, Social Security is going to say, here, you made over the threshold. Yeah, we need some of this we need, back. Yeah, we here. need we need to take some back. Right, we need. So yeah. then it's like, okay, well, here now I got to give it back, but. How it's calculated is that they, they assume that you never received it or took it. So it'll so it, your haircut, your permanent reduction is not going to be twenty five percent. It's going to be less. Yeah, and I think that's an important point because I think a lot of people think that if they go over that limit, it's all is lost. That was money that they'll never get back. And of course, I guess if you retire at sixty six in two months and you pass away the next month, you never did get it back. But if if you live a, a reasonable life expectancy, you will. Right. And so then that's why claiming Social Security benefits is somewhat of a challenge because we don't know when we're going to die. And it's a bet to live strategy the longer that you wait. True. And so don't they, have, don't they have fortune tellers that will tell you that? I wouldn't want to know that. <laughs> I would want to know that. When the, the exact date you're going to die? Oh, yeah, that would be awful. I wouldn't suppose it? I wouldn't want to know either. You got seven days. <laughs> Hopefully you're 95 years old oh, at that point. God. I don't know. Let's say you have seven days to live. That's what you find out. Right. Do you just get paralyzed and you can't like get out of bed? Well, the first two days you'd be, yeah, you'd be paralyzed. Then the next five days you'd have to live it up. Bucket list. <laughs> Flying to Peru. Oh my God. <laughs> I would not know. That would be awful. That would be absolutely awful. Yeah, it would. 
I, I, I would just say, you don't know what you're talking about. And I'd go to the next one. And then they would say seven days, too. Six and a half days. <laughs> I thought it was seven. That was earlier in yeah, the day. Yeah, that was half a day ago. <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, those songs, you got to live like you're dying. Yeah. I don't want to live like I'm dying. That means I'm like in a hospital bed. <laughs> well, the second part of that is I, I, it's better to live while you're dying than die while you live, which is true. Think oh. about that. <laughs> I don't. Okay, let's let's all ponder on that on the weekend. That's a Jimmy Buffett line. <sighs> well, um, hopefully we all will be here next weekend. Yes, for another great episode of Your Money or Wealth. All right, that's it for us for Big Al Clopine. I'm Joe Anderson. Hope to see you Wednesday. Um, have a great weekend, everyone. You just listened to Your Money or Wealth.